Again. We are in the middle of the book of Titus, chapter 2. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would continue to speak to us, continue to reveal your word to us, help us to apply it to our lives, and that we would properly apply your precepts, Lord. Such a controversial chapter, Lord, and yet so simple. I just pray that we would apply it practically and perfectly, if it be your will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, chapter 2 in the book of Titus is all about roles. The roles of a father in the home, or the role of a mother, the role of the kids, the role of an elder in church, older women, older men, younger men, younger women. And in our society, we have been taught to question and to challenge every role. We've seen that happen in good ways, and we've seen it happen in very destructive ways. I'll give you some examples. You know, in this nation, it was once taught that the role of a certain race of people was to be subservient to a master race. And they questioned that. They questioned that biblically, and they challenged it rightfully. And then, as time continued, the role of a woman was challenged. Can she vote? Can she spend money without her husband's permission and that role was questioned and then it was challenged and in the early 19th century women's rights and the the vote for women then the role of a woman at home the role of a husband and a wife was questioned in the home and then it was challenged and that's a very fascinating discussion, if that's biblical or not. But then it, after that, the roles in the church were challenged and questioned. Could a woman teach from the pulpit? Could she be a leader over men? At this time, there are those that argue, and they, they say they're arguing from a biblical concept. I, I just say that's not possible. That's, that's out of context when they're making those statements. But you see a continuing to now we see it to the nth degree, don't we? But not only is it these small roles, we're talking about the role of gender. Is a boy a boy and is a girl a girl? And can I challenge it and question it? Can I be one or the other? Can I choose? Sexuality. I can, I can challenge it. I can choose it. The roles don't matter. I can choose whatever I rule. Uh, wherever I want to be, whatever I feel like, wherever I want to go. The Bible is going to tell us, and it's going to expressly tell us here in Titus chapter 2, that roles are important. Biblical roles are important. Let's start off in, in verses 1 through 4. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. I want to point out that this is not separate men's and women's roles because in verse 3 you see the connection that older women likewise. So ladies, you actually have both. You have to have sound faith, love, patience, temperance, especially sound doctrine. And on top of that, ladies, verses 
uh, three, the latter portion of verse three and verse four, you're to have reverent behavior, slanders, not given to wine, teachers of good things, admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Uh, there are people in this world today that will pull their hair out if you tell them these things from the Bible. They say, hey, listen, uh, if you're married, a woman's role should be to training up younger women and herself to take care of her home. Does that mean that she's not capable of working? No, it does not say that at all. Proverbs 30 tells us that women are to be workers and that they can be buyers of a field back in Proverbs chapter 30. It's not about ability. It's about roles. It's about being who God has called you to be. You see a, a fish. A fish is amazing when it's in the water. And you look at a fish in the water, it is designed, it is created to be in the water. And you watch that thing, and what do we have to do if we're going to go into the water? If you go take your trip to Hawaii, don't, I don't want to lose you in a daydream now. But let's say you jump on a plane, you're going on a vacation, you're going to Hawaii, you go scuba diving. What do you got to do? You got to put on a wetsuit. You got to put on weights, because otherwise you're going to float. You got to put on big fins, and you got to put on a breathing apparatus that only has a certain amount of time. Then you can come and get under the water and try and swim with the fish. You can try and take the role of a fish, and you can force yourself to do it. But that fish is just darting around you having a good old time because that was the role it was created for. And you have, you have birds in the air. You, know, you, you spend time on the beach, you see those pelicans flying by, and they're cruising in perfect formation. And then what do they do? All of a sudden, they see that fish down there in its perfect environment, and they want to add that fish to their belly environment. And all of a sudden, they nosedive perfectly. You had the Olympics just taking place, and you have guys that trained their whole life to dive like that bird does in a second. And it picks that bird up. Now that, fish, that, that bird for a moment is trying to be a fish. He's under the water. He can't stay there. He's not designed to be there. But he can get under the water. He can do it. And, and here you are. Let's pretend you're snorkeling there in Hawaii. Pelican comes crashing down. Oh, my gosh. And you got three, three designed beings from God that are in the same atmosphere, both under the water. You got a fish. You know he's made to be there. You got a pelican. He's supposed to be there for a minute. And then you got you. You just gave the tourist guy $500 so you could go f- swim with this fish that he was just born there. And a lot of times we challenge, we challenge roles, but it's to our, our own detriment. And you have a whole world that's trying to tell you, especially my wife. The whole world's trying to tell my wife that her staying at home and taking care of my kids and homeschooling my kids and raising them as a Christian that she's putting back women's rights by decades. Or that she is detriment to her children because she's not out there in the workplace providing for them. Or that she's saying that I'm, I'm over her in authority and so somehow men are better and that you know, our Christian faith is putting people in a role. But then you just watch her with my kids. You just wa- and it's, just, it's the, the beauty of just a fish underwater, just designed. That's how it's designed. The household is designed. You want to talk about a guy who is out of his element, scuba gear. Watch me do the laundry. I have messed that. I have been banned from my laundry. I'm not saying guys can't do laundry. I'm not saying that we're not capable. I'm single guys. I'm not, not knocking you right now. I'm just saying that God has a better plan. What we don't realize 
Because in our culture, we're taught that Christianity is archaic, that Christianity is from an oppressive people from the past, and that we're growing up and we're better than ever, is that in the first century, back in Titus chapter 2, this Christian lifestyle was completely radical. Absolutely radical. Roman men were taught to have three women in their lives. One for fun, one for stature, and then one to raise their children. They were being taught this. Women were property. You had no rights as a a Roman woman, and that was a free woman. Two-thirds of the Roman world were slaves. Slaves. Property of an oppressive master. Whether he was a good one or a bad one, you better just hope because it's not your choice. And you have this radical lifestyle being taught about love, sound doctrine, reverence, temperament. You know, we have in our, in the church today, this knowledge is being taught. The Bible's being taught in conservative Bible-believing and teaching churches. I praise God for it, but sometimes they lack grace. For example, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, Now concerning things offered to idol, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies The Lord was speaking through Paul, and they were talking about meat offered to idols and talking about Jews and Gentiles working together. But the same thing can be said about Christian households. We have women in this family, in this fellowship, that their husbands have abandoned them. And the enemy will come attack them and say, well, you're out there working. You have have second best. Listen, we all aim for biblical perfection, and we all, all of us fail and land in the arms of grace, the grace of God, the love of God. In my family, we've, we've strived. We have sacrificed much to try and follow this biblical, this biblical standard for the home. My wife, I've watched her grown, grow in the Lord, and I've seen her aim for these things and to work hard in her faith. I've worked very hard in the faith, and all by the power of Jesus Christ, that there, I cannot glorify in any of it, for sound doctrine and being reverent and, and growing in the word. As Paul is telling Titus here, hey, listen, Titus, verse 1, he said, but as for you, speak these things. They're proper, they're sound doctrine. Don't be ashamed of it, he's saying. This is the way it should be. Listen, Titus, this is the way it should be. And so I tell the church in America, the 21st century, all of us, and preaching to my family, this is the way it should be. Let's continue before I get stuck. Verse 5 through 8. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. He's continuing, and he says to the older women in the faith, you need to be teaching the younger women how to do these things. You need to be examples. Now listen what he's telling them to teach them. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good and obedient to their own husbands. If someone wasn't pulling their hair out, 
who's against these scriptures now, to have other women teaching women this, oh my gosh, they're burning their houses down. They're so upset. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and I am not ashamed of the word of God. This is what the word of God says. But the reason I'm not ashamed of it, first and foremost, it's the sovereign word of God, but second is it works, and it works great when we're obedient to it, when we submit willingly to the love of God. But again, it has been ingrained in each and every one of us in our culture to challenge and question everything. If they're trying to make you do something, it must be against you. Even this whole role here of older men and, young, and, and women mentoring younger men and women. Many of you here grew up in the hippie generation, the baby boomers. And what were you taught? Never trust anyone over the age of 21 when you were a young person. Never trust the older generation. The younger people you have, that's the exact opposite of what Scripture is telling us. The exact opposite. We need to be exhorting the young men to be sober-minded. I came from a single-parent, non-Christian home. Grew up in public school. I was a latchkey kid. I raised myself practically. The, you know, the street raised me. I praise God that he had an older man that came into my life and started preaching the gospel. And he didn't care what kind of, like I said last week, embarrassingly, what kind of dumb came out of my mouth. He just took the time and just kept preaching the truth. He just kept teaching me the truth. And that man's name was you know, Pastor Mark Galvin, my pastor. I got baptized in his jacuzzis two weeks after I got saved. Because it was an older man that just, you know, just started teaching to be sober-minded. You have been taught, if you're older here, you have been taught that younger people are not listening to you. That is a bold faith lie. And they are listening to what you say. They may not act like it. They may talk back to you. They may look down. They may roll their eyes. But they're thinking. They're absorbing it. And most importantly, they're watching you. They're watching you. And that's why at the end of verse 5, Paul's telling Timothy that the word of God may not be blasphemed. What, what is he talking about, the word of God? He's saying, hey, elders, older women, older men in the faith, people are watching your faith. They're listening to what you say. And what you do and what you say has an effect on other people. Has a, has a very important effect. But he... The enemy wants to come at you and and tell you otherwise. We should all be aiming for biblical perfection in our homes. But many of us, especially young Christians, they start off with compromise. Oh, yeah, my wife has to work. Oh, yeah, they have to go to public school. These are things that we fall on the grace of God. These things happen, and they're not, you know, it's not the second best of God. We just want to make sure that we're aiming for him first, And then see how he leads your family. How does he guide and direct your family and unify your family in the roles, the biblical God-given roles that he's given your family, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happens in Christian homes is, summed up in this saying, if you try to fail and succeed, what have you done? If you try to fail and succeed, what have you done? If you come out of the gate and decided we can't meet these biblical principles, we're not even going to try, we're just going to go the way of the world, we're going to just we're gonna do the bare minimum, 
and you get the bare minimum in your Christian walk, what have you done? Have you really succeeded? Or have you succeeded at the compromise? Like I said, my family, you know, we aim for biblical perfection, and every single time we fail. Every single time. And we just fall in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to aim. We're going to run this race to win, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Lay aside every hindrance, every weight to run this race. Some of us were just, yeah, but I read this other book. I saw this other seminar. I talked to this other guy at work or this other gal here, and they're saying that you really should do this and you really should do that. As a church, as a whole, in America, we're losing the younger generation because we're living like the world, we're acting like the world, we're training our kids up in the world, and then we're wondering why our kids are absorbed in the world. What did you think was going to happen? Listen, if sports are more important than church, then sports are going to be more important. If watching TV is more important than reading and teaching the Bible, guess what? Watching TV is going to be more important than reading and teaching the Bible. If you don't pray with your kids, why are you surprised that they don't pray? And it continues on with all these different roles. Older men. If you're upset and you're praying, oh, Lord, we just pray that we would have more youth in this church. Well, how many youth are you involved with? How many are you talking to? Older women with the younger women. Same thing. Have you made a phone call? Have you called? Have you talked to your neighbor down the street? This isn't about filling the church up. No, I'm not saying we need to have a pledge drive and get more members. We don't have members here. We're talking, are you investing in people's lives and what are you investing? Are you building relationships for the kingdom of God? Because that's what all these roles are about. Are you building relationships that are glorifying the Lord, or as it says here at the end of verse 5, that the Lord is blasphemed. Because he says, if you're to be obedient to these things, that the word of God may not be blasphemed, because we have an enemy. We don't want anyone to say, as it says at the end of verse 8, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Nothing evil to say, because you're, just following the biblical principles. But it takes this really nasty, ugly word that especially young people, they hate to hear it, submission. But you must submit your hand, yourself, under the mighty hand of God, and in due time he will exalt you, is what the scripture says. You must submit yourself. I can't submit you. That's a different religion, a false religion that's from the pit that wants to submit everyone forcefully. No, you must submit your hand. You must make the choice to serve and follow after God. Now, verses 9 through 15, we're going to get into some nitty-gritty stuff, some really challenging stuff here. In verse 9, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14. 
who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Let's go back up to verse 9. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. Listen, this is what he's saying literally in the context. Slaves, obey your masters. I am not going to try and soften that blow any more than it is. He is saying to an oppressed, captive person who has no rights to bless and prosper the person who is oppressing them. In a slave-master relationship, that is completely radical. And it is very sobering. He's not just talking about worker to manager. He's not just talking about you, um, person that clocks in and clocks out and goes home and does whatever you want. That's under the umbrella. No, this is to the extreme. What is he not saying? He is not saying that this is right or wrong, this relationship. He is not saying that it's about what you deserve or what you earn. And he is not saying anything other than representing Jesus. Representing Jesus Christ is the goal, not social change. That comes as people's hearts are changed for Jesus. He's not, he's not putting a stamp of approval on this relationship. What is he saying here? Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. This is why. This is the why. This is the highlight. Why? That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. When Jesus said to love your enemies, to bless those that despitefully curse you and use you, he meant it. He meant it. Hey, the odds are in a room this size, many of us have bosses that are mean or crazy or rip-off artists or con artists. And we live in a, in a society. Praise God for it. You can leave your job. Put your two-week notice in. This is a right-to-work state. It goes both ways. You could leave right now from your job. You have a choice. Praise God for it. But if God has you to stay there and to minister, this isn't about what you deserve. This isn't about your income level or you need another 50 cents an hour or you're going to go out on strike. If you're saying that you have the cause of Christ as your banner, you are representing Jesus. And this is his standard. This is his standard. Now, just like our homes, we are to aim for biblical perfection, but you will never, ever, ever attain it. You never will. Here it says you're not even allowed to talk back. In the Greek, he says, don't roll the eyes. You can't even roll, you can't even scoff. With your whole heart, give yourself to your tasks. He says, no disobedience. Even when eyes are not on you. You clock out 30 minutes early, you take a 30-minute long lunch break. You have the right to choose your job. These people in the first century context, they were property. They got paid nothing, and if they were blessed, they were fed. If they were blessed, their families were not split up, not torn apart and sold off as pieces and parts. And yet the cause of Christ was higher 
was higher than our rights, than our lives. Again, you must submit yourself. No one here is making you do anything. We're all saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But again, if you, if you come out of the gate here saying, well, I'm just going to fail. That's just not going to work. I'm going to do it. Well, if you succeed, what have you done? What have you done? Why are we doing these things? They spend verses 11 through 15 saying why, and it's all speaking about Jesus. For the grace of God brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is not about you. This is about him. What he deserves, what he has done on the, on the cross. He has given you life everlasting. He's raised you up. You are born again. You're a new creature. All your sins are passed away. Your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. He's given you that freely. And he says, you want to follow me. You want to come after me. You want to be a disciple. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is how you represent me. Why? Because again, verse 14, he gave himself for us that we might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So if you're despising me for the study, here, I'm covered. Verse 15, but I'm going to teach it. This is what the book says. This is the sovereign word of God without error, timeless for all eternity, that we have roles, men, women, older men, younger men, older women, younger women. You have a place. And if you accept the godly principles, the godly standards, and you follow what he has for you, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yes, yes, there are some great women teachers, great pastors out there, but they're not called by God. It's against the scriptures, but they're, they're doing it. Yes, you can have a woman who's the breadwinner and a man who stays at home and is the homemaker, and they can, they can do it well, just like a scuba diver. He can do it well. There are homosexual couples out there in what they claim to be a marriage relationship. And although the stats say it's very rare, they could be married for 20, 30, until death do they part. And you know what they'll say? Well, look at the Christian divorce rate. It's 50%. And it's the minority. It's the exception to the rule. It is. But if you look at it just from those standards, well, it causes us to question. If you have no biblical principle, no biblical foundation on what these roles mean, then you're just a ship at sea without an anchor and without a compass. And you see the society go one way and you see them go another way and they're just like, what's right? Well, we don't know. I feel like this is right and I feel like this is right. But the Bible says in the book of James that a double-minded man is good for nothing. They don't know. It has no sustenance. But on, you know, in the day that we live in, you come with them with this book and this chapter and you say, hey, I'm not telling you how to live your life. This is what I say at work. I'm not 
you know, I'm not a pastor that comes out here and says that you need to do the things that I do the way that I do. But for me and my house, we serve the Lord and our biblical interpretation. My wife has decided to stay home. We've decided together. She, we have decided that we're going to sacrifice financially to do that. I am the sole breadwinner. It means I have to work a little bit harder than some. I don't get to sp- sit at home at night like some of the young men on the Xbox all night long. That was a choice that we made. I'm not suffering but I do that based on what my God and Savior says. And I will fail. We will fail. And I thank him for his grace. I, you know, I'm an incredibly hard worker. And that's why it is so, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. So humbling to read these verses. Because I want to make sure that we're sharing grace and truth. It's to the left. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And we're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. Verse 1, And he made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind that were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the key. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, any one should boast, excuse me. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in the last chapter of Titus, in chapter 2, we're told we're to be zealous for good works, but these good works come from the free gift of Jesus Christ. Wherever your family is right now, whatever you've decided as you go before the Lord, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you have a, a long marriage, children, no children, wherever God has you right now, be swallowed up, in the grace of God, that he gave himself freely for you to place you in the position you are right now and to seek out and covet the very best gift, to be zealous for good works, to say, Lord, I can't do this, you, but I am your work. I am your creation, your workmanship, verse 10, by grace. And whatever your work is, Lord, I'm open to it. As we do every Wednesday, we're going to spend some time praying together corporately. We pray one at a time for a, to be close out the hour together. We intercede for one another. Uh, we pray for our nation, for each other, for our family members. We just pray that you would pray loud enough that we can all hear and agree together. Let's go before him. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Just pray that you would continue to lead us this evening as we pray and that you would be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.